0: Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. A content warning. This episode includes very brief mention of suicidal ideation, as well as detailed description of the chronic pain experience. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. I am here today with Kayla Harley. Kayla is the founder of B-Body Marketplace. She's a gyrokinesis instructor, and she lives with trigeminal neuralgia, muscle spasticity, facial pain, and uh, chronic fatigue. So she's going to talk to us about all of this um, and how it's also informed her movement work. So Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure. We were just saying before we started this interview that we only just connected very recently. Um, and it's a lot to jump into a very loaded discussion um, about personal health and, and your journey with wellness and movement. But um, I'm excited to do that because you seem very connected to self and, uh, to your body and mind connection. So I'm really excited to dive in with you. So thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, as we say, start from the very beginning. Um, can you tell us when you first realized that there was something going on in terms of your health and what steps you've since taken to control your health and, and keep symptoms at bay? sure it's been
1: a journey it's it feels like forever actually to be honest i have no sense of time with this this healing space that i've been in um but it has truthfully only been about five maybe six years now i was touring um dancing and performing with a professional uh company and i was in brooklyn new york at the time preparing to uh put together a performance a dance concert and I would say I was, I was at the peak of my career. I'd studied dance in college. I'd had a career and, um, moved from the San Francisco Bay Area, um, through Chicago. And there I was in New York. And I remember coming home, getting off of public transportation and feeling a sharp pain in the side of my leg. And I was, I just stopped. I was like, what is that? Because as a dancer, you it's a part of your profession to be in tune with your body. And so it was important right away that I listen and make sure that I wasn't injured and it wasn't going to inhibit my next day of work, which was rehearsal. A full days of rehearsal, might I add, usually from about 7 a.m. till 3 p.m. and sometimes 6. Um, so I stopped. I had a moment. I took it in. Didn't make sense to me because I didn't know where it was coming from. Uh, but I just kind of went with it. And so, um, days, weeks went by and the pain started to progress and the pain started to trickle upward, my leg to my hip and ultimately my shoulder. I continued to perform, continued to dance. I knew something was wrong. I couldn't put my finger on it. So I started to, um, seek holistic care right away. Um, ah. Acupuncture, massage, Reiki. I just needed people who could support me in my journey of listening. Um, I had learned early not to trust in Western medicine and Western doctors um, because they go to the numbers, they go to the charts, they go to the screenings, they go to all the tests, and it's like they never hear you. So I canceled that out from the beginning. Um, but then it came to a point where I actually needed to leave New York and come home to the Washington, D.C. area because the pain was so severe and it was starting to spread. And ultimately, it made its way up to the right side of my face, my jaw and temple area, and ultimately my eye. So all the muscles started to clench and tighten and close around that space. And I was—I came to the point where I almost couldn't see it out of my right eye. So I went home. Um, I just decided to rest went on bed rest for a couple of weeks. I want to say a solid, um, three months and, um, just did nothing. Um, at that point I needed to find answers. So I ended up going to a doctor after all Western medicine, you know, doing all the things that I said, I didn't want to do the testings, the screenings. And I went through a couple of doctors actually. Um, and, uh, it, it just was interesting. I felt like I wasn't heard. I certainly mm. wasn't supported. Um, they were so sure that it was something to do with mal brain activity, actually mm. MS, maybe cancer, because my symptoms were so multi-layered. And chaotic. It just didn't make sense as to what this condition could possibly be. Because as much as I was in pain, as much as things were going wrong, I still was able to walk, take care of myself to some degree. Now, I was very faint um and you know i start to experience chronic fatigue to the point where doing simple things like washing dishes vacuuming the floor i would need to pause stop sit down and sometimes take a nap for like 3 to 5 hours and how can you explain that to someone how can you say i'm i was a super athlete at one point and a dancer to now i'm almost completely debilitated in my day to day activities and presuming
0: presumably unable to work as well. I mean, this is your bread and butter is your body and your body's malfunctioning. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So um, went through all the things that they asked me to do and they found nothing. They found, according to them and their results, that I was completely healthy, and it was probably in my head, and you and I had discussed this prior to coming on, that they recommended I see a psychologist. Now, what's interesting about this is I was listening in on a talk about the future yesterday, about the future, about data um, sharing and technology and what that looks like, and they brought up the fact that from a global perspective, refugees, but from a domestic perspective, minorities don't trust that as a recommendation because it sort of scars you. They put it on your record and you don't know where they're going to share this information. And no one wants to, speaking of bread and butter, run the risk of losing jobs or losing out on opportunities should this information be shared that you had to go see um, a psychologist or a psychiatrist because doctors felt like you were mentally or emotionally unstable and not willing to accept their advice, their results, and their diagnosis, and that you probably just are taking it upon yourself to um, stretch
0: this experience the epitome of gaslighting. This is exactly what gaslighting is. And it's worth noting here, and I should have mentioned it at the beginning of the interview too, you're the third woman with trigeminal neuralgia that we're having on the show, but the first black woman living with trigeminal neuralgia too. And it sounds like you went through a few more doctors as well than the white women who've been on the show. So that's an interesting point too.
1: I did. I went through probably 12 physicians and specialists just in the beginning of understanding what this was. Let me tell you, it was a black woman who looked at me and said, I know what that is. You have chronic TMJ. Hmm. From that moment, I was able to see the next person who I needed to see who was a foreign doctor Hmm. to that looks like trigeminal neuralgia. And they kept, Lauren, discouraging me from doing my own research. They were like, don't Google search. Don't look on your own. Don't self-diagnose. But it was coming into those office visits with my research, writing down my symptoms, being vocal and being my own advocate. Mm. That was the answer um, or to helping them figure out what it is I needed. So, after seeing the black woman who spotted it right away and then seeing a foreign physician who was a far better listener, even though he still had his own biases. And I'm going to touch on that in a second. And he dared to even said what say what he said to me was, um, I'm going to, um he's like, I see girls, like young girls like you all the time, dancers who come in and they do all these crazy things with their bodies and they want help. So this was a pain, this was a pain specialist. And I'm thinking in my head, was it your job to tell me that? Or can you just help? Yeah.
0: It's just inappropriate.
1: Injuries are part of the job. I mean, that is, you're using your body. Using my body, you know, and it's, why do I need that comparison in this moment? How is
0: that relevant? How is that helpful? Well, and is an athlete ever criticized for injuring themselves, but a dancer is? Hmm. Like, why aren't, why is this art of movement not also considered? I mean, these are the same thing in my head. It's the same level of skill with your body you know but it's interesting that like an athlete is expected to get injured but a dancer gets injured and you're being judged mm. facts
1: noted i had to get an epidural in the side of my face just to release the wow. amount of pain and tension um that was going on just for me to even experience some sense of normalcy. I also needed to see a dermatologist because I had eczema, and the amount of pain, inflammation, burning, scratching, screeching. It felt like someone was taking a knife to the side of my face and slowly cutting me all day long, as well as a fish hook, hooked inside of my jaw and being yanked and pulled like someone is trying to pull me out of water. On top of the feeling of like fire ants in my scalp crawling across my skin. I thought that I, what is it called? I thought that I needed some kind of blood flush. Like Mm. I thought my blood was contaminated and I needed to clean it out because of the, the the sensations that were going on. And I recently had a doctor when I told them I had TN. They were like, you probably don't have TN um, because they asked me to describe my symptoms and I needed to take a pause because there's so much to trigeminal neuralgia that it's hard to explain. And they said, mm, you probably don't have it because you don't forget um, trigeminal neuralgia if you had it. I was like, I just need a moment to begin because this experience, this diagnosis, this condition is, is extreme. Um, that it's hard to believe and it's certainly hard to wrap your mind around if you don't have it. So, um, yeah, there's that, um, you know, being a black woman and sitting down on top of a doctor's table is, is so hard because Mm -hmm. I often hear from black women. The reason why they don't trust physicians is because of this glow. You come in and you look fine. Um, you look like you've been out in the sun and you're glowing and you don't have issues and all of these things. How could you possibly? There's, there's nothing wrong with you. And so it's like, where do you go with that when people are already denying your right? To say that there's something wrong with me and I don't understand and can you help me? And the reason why we're going to doctors is because historically as black women, we've been discouraged from tapping into our own knowledge, inherent wisdom of healing of the earth practices. Everything about where we've come from is bad, is witchcraft, is voodoo, it's evil, it's black magic, it's
0: um, not proven. It's mm-hmm. or it's fodder for an illegal experiment as well. You know, it's like the body being abused as well as what we've seen in Western medicine, particularly where Black women are concerned.
1: Exactly. So we can't win for losing. You, we do it our way, and it's like you need to go see a doctor. You go see a doctor, and it's like, uh, eh, I don't know how to help you. You're healthy. You're fine. Maybe it's in your head, and then that stigma of being all these things and you're frustrated. And then you end up being the angry black woman who can't be helped, who's got all these symptoms, who has health issues. And then this is why they have tagged this condition, Lauren, the suicide disease, because Mm. you can't find any solutions. You can't find the help that you need. You're going through all these manic experiences. You're broke. I, You're broke because you can't walk. I'm sorry. So, sometimes you can't walk. Let's yeah. talk. So you're stuck in bed all day because you're sensitive to light. You're sensitive to sound. You um, have all these triggers that don't motivate you to take the day. Um, I would say being a black woman to my advantage, I started to tap into the strength of my ancestors and say, okay, Kayla, if they've been through medical experiments, if they've been through slavery, if they've been through all these things, you got to rise up. You just have to, you just, that's the only answer. I'm sorry. Um, and that is a problem in, in itself, having to identify as a black woman when you feel like you don't want to. I don't want to mm-hmm. take on the stigma of being um, strong when I'm being abused and being mortified on a physician's table. Like, how mm-hmm. do I navigate that?
0: Well, and I'm just living in pain, period. Like you're living with this chronic pain that no one has answers for.
1: I've had to um, hypnotize myself. Um, You know, it's been said that positive affirmations and meditation and all of these things is not the, the remedy for pain. And I agree. It is not. The ultimate remedy, it is not going to take you out of the pain experience. You still have to experience the pain body. So that's a con. That's a thing too, like accepting and being
0: in the pain body in order to find solutions. That's hard. Mm. Um, but I, I like that you mentioned that though, because it's not about pretending that this doesn't exist or finding a way to agree with the people who have denied you along your path to diagnosis. It's actually about accepting it within and going okay. I hurt because how do you begin to heal until you accept that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <sighs> it's a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, there I was, got the diagnosis. Um, they gave me everything under the sun. Um, epilepsy medication, um, Oxycontin, all the painkillers, muscle relaxers that I felt took me out of my, space as a human being and my ability to just operate and function on a day-to-day. Um, and I think that also probably attributes to um, the suicide component as well. If you are over medicated and you feel like you don't have any hope and there are no answers, but try this, then so I just put it aside. I was like, I'm not going to take these medications. It's not doing anything for me. I'm just going to up my dosage of vitamins. I do something called IV um drip therapy, which is your vitamins liquidated and they just um insert it like an IV and into you to help you get some power and some energy. Um I. I'm a certified breath pathologist, so I chose to use my breath work to help me on a day-to-day. I also find a lot of strength in teaching others the power of breath and movement because sharing my knowledge from my lived experience and my research um, empowers me. Um so there's that. Um I'm also a doula, so I work with mothers and helping them get to the other side of the birth experience. Mm. For me, it helps me to get through the other side of my pain. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you got the TN diagnosis. Did the muscle spasticity and all the chronic fatigue, has that persisted as you have been seeking healing simply because it's all part of the experience of having this diagnosis? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's still here even now. I had to reteach myself how to talk. Mm. I had to reteach myself to formulate words Mm. because of the clenching of the face and it goes into the neck and then the shoulders and sometimes even into the breast area. And so this is where the movement of the jaw comes from. And there are days where I can't even, like, I have to think about the words that I want to say. I have to really prep myself to speak. It's hard to speak on spot.
0: You're doing great. (laughs) You wouldn't know, honestly. But this is part of the thing of like also looking great and being in pain too. It's like we're able to find coping mechanisms so that we can function as, you know, quote unquote, abled, Um, even though... So it's almost like a performative ableism, but it's also part of your way of not having to sit and just be in pain all day. It's also like, here's how we move on.
1: I love that you said performative because that's a part of it too, the, the invisible aspect of this condition. You do have to, in the rising up and in the, you know, just taking on your day and just talking to people, you, fi- you feel like you have to hide because who is going to, not everyone is going to be compassionate and empathetic that you're going to, through a condition and mental, um, medical, excuse me, medical challenges. And you're in this mental space where you have to consider the kind of environment that you're in and are they going to be receptive or maybe they're not. Um, that is, that's a thing, you know, speech and teaching myself how to talk again, I've had to make sure that I enunciate my words. I take my time and speak, um, diction, pitch, tone, all of these things are part of the performative aspect of speaking. And people will often say to me, like, not often say to me, but they would compliment me on my speaking abilities. And, but it got to the point where I feel like I was always presenting myself instead of just being me. Um, and that is frustrating because I felt like I always had to be professional, turn it on. And I just wanted to relax. And um, that's still something that I'm navigating
0: around. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So did this also end your dance career? I mean, is this something that was getting enough in the way? I mean, it sounds like you were bedridden for months uh, while you were just seeking the diagnosis, let alone living with it, right? what then happened? Like, cause I know now you're teaching gyrokinesis and doing breath work. So did you sort of holistically look at your career and go, how can I move these skills into something else? Because I need to do something, right? Like, what was that journey like for you?
1: So I didn't stop dancing right away. After, um, after going on bed rest, I be, I went to, you know, waitressing because I needed cash in order to afford all the specialists that I needed to work with. Um, I went back to dance, uh, actually in the most extreme way. I (laughs) performed on a cruise line and wow. That was the very last thing that I I did performing and it was everything that I said just before. They were not compassionate, they were not empathetic, they did not care. In fact, you are a liability if you have anything physical going on with you that would inhibit you from um doing your work. So I had to hide it. I had to I had to essentially lie and say that I was okay when I wasn't. But I used the concepts of gyrokinesis, things like the fifth line energy, which is um, understanding polarities, power of opposition, low, um, being aware of space energetically, um, proprioception, um, weight shifting, weight bearance. I had to really become um, a dance anthropologist and a scientist of my body to understand how I can um, not only do the choreography in dance on this cruise line, but interact with people on a day-to-day basis because that was a part of the job requirement was to interact with people. And then the culture of cruise line was completely 180 degrees away from what I needed, which was party life, drinking all the time. Um, And so I felt very isolated and removed from the people that I worked with um, because they didn't understand why I spent a lot of time to myself. They thought that I didn't like them. They thought all of these things and they didn't understand why I spent a lot of time in meditation and prayer instead of partying. So what I did was I went to women, you know, you and I spoke about women being as being change agents and facilitators. I went to the women that were not as part of the um, the entertainment and the production side of the cruise line, but instead were the laborers who work long hours and didn't have support and felt like they needed to fall in to drinking and to sex and to this environment that just wanted to use them and abuse them for labor and then send them home. And I started teaching, um, breath work, yoga and fitness on the cruise line and talking to this woman and tell them, Hey, you don't have to give your body away. Your body's sacred. You know, hold on to what you have and save it for what you need. And, um, following the cruise line, um, I started to become more serious about B-Body. So B-Body is my holistic marketplace, um, which is the five things of health, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial, as a way to teach myself, as a way to recover, as a way to build my life holistically and bring others in. So sort of a public health initiative to teach others this way. Um, so I volunteered at community health fairs, um, did lectures. And started my podcast called the body talks where we just covered all those topics there that I mentioned.
0: And, um, yeah, just continuing the journey. Mm. So you've turned this into a way in which you have flourished, but you've been able to do that because you listened to your body. You took on the lessons your body was teaching you. You moved it into something else that would work for you. Yeah. So I'm wondering as well. You know, from an advocacy point of view, was it just you this whole time, you know looking for diagnosis, going through all of this pain? Did you have anyone who had your back who acted as an advocate for you at any point along that path? Or was that something where you really just stepped up on your own and stepped into that advocacy space yourself?
1: Um, truthfully, it was just me. I belong to a, a, a huge family. And I know in times of despair, I can reach out to them and say, hey, pray for me, um, I'm not at my best, but they didn't really understand the fullness of it all. And I can also be transparent and say that, um, I think it was my mom who recognized that I didn't really have the, have the support that I needed because it was hard for her to even accept the diagnosis. I would try to share things about what I was going through with my family, Or going through with my loved ones, but they couldn't fully wrap their head around it. They couldn't really fully wrap their head around the things that I was describing about what I was going through because they kept seeing me as being fine and being okay and making it through and being strong. So, um, that double life that I was living, I think, um, the denial factor, um, that loved ones, um, that loved ones are in is debilitating for the person who's in pain. Because I I don't need you to deny the fact that I am going through something because you want me to be better and you want me to be whole and you want me to be healthy. I want that too. But I also need you to be willing to accept that this is a real thing that's happening to me. And I need you to meet me there first. So it was a struggle to get people to meet me where I was. And so I sought the research and I sought communities that um, also were diagnosed with TN um, on my own. Um, my mother did attend one group with me, but it was very hard for her to be in that room. She just kept shaking her head like, no, this is not my daughter. No, this is not what she's going through. No, this isn't it. I remember getting a trigeminal neuralgia, magazine and just reading through all the things. I'm like, yeah, I need to see this. I need this to be real and visible to me so that I can connect with what's happening in my life. Um, And I remember trying to share that with her and she'd be like, "Mm,
0: okay. Yeah. Major denial. And it's no, it's like on on some level, it's not like a conscious thing. It's not like they're out to get us when they're in that kind of denial, but it also doesn't help, does it? Yes. So you really stepped into that space yourself, which I think is beautiful. And it absolutely ties in directly to the work that you're doing now. And, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but I'm wondering what a typical day is like for you. Since you're using these holistic techniques and you're using the gyrokinesis and the breath work to really manage your body and your pain, how are you balancing the demands of work and life as you work around potential flares and your body's symptoms?
1: It is. I can count on... One thing I can say I can count on is getting a good good night's rest. Um, when I lie my head down on that pillow, it is my saving grace. Um, the body heals itself in sleep. And so I'm able to restore energy that way as much as I can. I try to get a good solid eight hours. Um, six at the very least five is pushing it, but sometimes that's what it is. I am very active in my community. I probably belong to 10, uh, community. Networks that I'm active in. I work full-time as a consultant. I also have uh, my own company, um, Creative and Equal Opportunities Incorporated, that provides resources and information to artists, um, as well as this health and wellness um, platform. And I'm a creative and an artist. So I think being a creative and an artist. Um those things never turn off in my mental space, to be honest. But it's also inspiring. So I try to stay inspired, motivated, passionate, and in love with my work as much as possible so that it doesn't feel so taxing. It can be frustrating. I probably cry um at least twice a day. But I shed tears to help me to water those seeds of all the things that I am committed to. And I always feel much better when I shed tears. Um, I pray a lot. Um, outwardly, audible prayers. I go into praise and worship, um, by listening to songs, singing very loudly, because I find that sound therapy, not only hearing, but me actually bringing the sound up through my own body helps with, like, um, I hate to say it, but suppress the pain
0: Mm. Um,
1: because the pain rises up from my breast area to my jaw. When I sing, when I am vocal, it kind of brings it back down. And that's what I need it to be. I need it to come to like a
0: a central part of my body. Yeah. That's not suppressing. That's just moving it, isn't it? Yeah. We don't have to think about that as suppressing. No. (laughs) We're tapping into our strengths here. Yeah. Mm. I, so, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I call my friends, um, my best friends when I need to. They check on me. Um, that's helpful. My grandmother checks on me too. Um, physical massage. I remember having a day where I realized that I was my own healer. So massaging is a huge part of um, my day-to-day. I use CBD products. I'm a proponent of that. I'm also a proponent of cannabis. Um, when I realized that these doctors were not going to be advocates for me and probably not going to be the answers, I started to travel. I went to Jamaica. I went to Trinidad. I went to Hawaii. Um, I went to places that were rich in nature, rich in vegetation. Rich in, um, holistic living and in places where people were taking it easy and valued that taking it easy as part of the lifestyle because I, I knew that's what I needed. Um, American Western culture is brutal to anyone, especially anyone with a chronic pain condition. So I needed to experience life other than what I was used to and find a way to integrate that into my day to day. And I came across so many breast cancer warriors, um, other kind of cancer warriors that use cannabis as a part of their healing mechanisms. And I finally stopped feeling like I needed to hide that and feeling like I was like a rebel or vigilante or, um, all of these things that are false about people who use cannabis for medicinal purposes. And embraced that because cannabis has helped me so much. Um, it still requires me to do a lot of the work, um, physical, spiritual, all the, um, you know, social, emo- emotional as well. But cannabis um, is a whole body experience. And that's what I needed. Um, and a proponent that would allow me to see where I can move energetically the pain
0: that I'm feeling in my body. I really love that. I love that you're talking about interconnectedness there as well. I'm wondering, you know, just to dig back into some of these experiences you've had of bias in the medical system. um, Do you think that if you presented differently, if you perhaps had been a white woman going to some of these doctors, maybe if you'd been male going to some of these doctors, that your pain might have been taken more seriously from the get go?
1: I don't know because I'm not a white woman and I'm Mm. not white man. I don't know. That's the thing about being a person of color and being a person without the privilege. You, It's not counterintuitive for you to actually know what their experience is like mm. unless you are actually them. Um, wh- I, I'm going to say no. Mm. Because I'm talking to you and you're a white woman and you've had the same experience.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I would say access to I would say it's really just about access to money. Yeah. Because um, if I had more money, I could probably dish it out and see more and more specialists and Mm. together we could figure this thing out. Um, But um,
0: yeah, I think that's really what it comes down to. Mm. Well, I mean, with some of these socioeconomic issues, we know that Some of them come down to race too, right? I'm wondering if you think that these kinds of biases in the healthcare system, be they based on gender, race, socioeconomic status, et cetera, do you think that these concepts themselves are a public health crisis? Yes, Mm.
1: they are. Um, As I mentioned earlier about the glow with women of color, um, I think physicians are just not honest with the fact that they don't know that, how to treat certain things and how to treat certain things as it pertains to Black and brown people, females, um, binary, transgender. If you don't know, its the last thing a physician is going to tell you is, I don't know. They're not going to be honest. They're just going to keep referring you out to someone else that could possibly help you, but it's still shooting in the dark. Um, so that is a part of the crisis, um, as well as we know that they are in partnership with the pharmaceutical companies, and it's much easier to just send them off to um, a random medication that could potentially help them or not at all, instead of um, accepting, as the Europeans do, uh, European culture, um, complementary care alternative care, holistic care. They actually embrace a walk in nature, um, movement therapy, dance therapy, muse, music therapy, um, going to spend time with a monk as a viable option for healthcare. Um, we do, we don't do that here in the U.S. We don't do that mm. at all. We would rather lie, or excuse me, not we, cause not me, mm. rather lie, collect your money, tell you it's you, or say, sorry, you can't afford it, I don't know what to, to tell you, um, then offer them something that really could work for them. So mm-hmm. I think we need to look at, we need to change the, the, the spectrum of what we're doing here, what we're, what we're offering people. And so we, we know that, sure, black and brown individuals, women of color, minorities, et cetera, if you're on the very minimal healthcare, which I am, um, I'm now finally getting to the point where I could probably start to afford my own health care. But before it was. And and again, that goes back to it's hard for me to say because I don't know, I'm not in that space. My mom, I was able to go to a doctor's visit with her where she had real health insurance, not health care for all, not Medicare, where my experience that probably took 30 days to be referred and to see one doctor um happened for her in 5 minutes. Wow. Apparently they had specialists in their back office. Apparently they had all these people that she just needed to wait 5 minutes and go see that person and get her blood drawn and go see that person and go take the test and go see that person and get everything done in a day that took me 30 days to do. Wow. Was only because I was, again, my own advocate, mm. and professional and followed up and punched through it that, I, and, and it took me several calls, calling people day in and day
0: out. Did you get my message? Did you get my call? Did you get, it's ridiculous. It's Meantime, you're living in pain too. It's like, this is like, it becomes the full-time job.
1: Mean, it's a full-time. That's exactly what it is, Lauren. I have stacks and heaps of folders. I'm like, my God, who do I work for? Do I work for the system? Yeah. And shame and that guilt of then having to go apply for food stamps because I'm unemployed and I need to eat um, and applying for assistance and all of these things that, again, minorities are shamed for doing. Like, oh, you just need to not have children. You can't afford them. You just need to not have issues. You can't afford it. How do you tell someone that when that's a part of their lived experience? Um, that's being fueled by these biases and being fueled by the inequities of healthcare. It's absolutely a crisis.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, this is a lot of the thing that is wrong with the U S healthcare system, right? But is there any way that we're getting it right? Do you think you don't have to have an answer to this, (laughs) but um, I know I agree with you that there's a lot of negative stuff, but I'm wondering, are there any positives that maybe we have the, the advantage of Europeans, for example, on in any way? Um,
1: I would say the positive these days is the fact that we're seeing more small businesses erupt and we can now start to, um, explore options that are out there, like mobile health services. Yes. Access to technology, um, I do see potential in the future for things getting better for us. We just need the access.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like tackling access from a small business point of view. I really like that, that you're making that point because it is about taking power away from larger corporations, pharmaceutical companies, massive hospitals, and putting it back into people's hands, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I'm wondering whether you can offer any tips um, Oh, actually, sorry, before we get into that, let's talk about your advocacy work. Let's talk about your businesses. Tell us about how you... I mean, you talked about how you sort of organically came into your gyrokinesis business and B-Body. But tell us a little bit more about how you're helping others um, through both your community work and your work in this wellness and holistic care space.
1: Sure. So I will start with my work as a doula. It was actually a man that made the suggestion to me that I should become a doula. I had no idea what it was. And when I found out, I realized that um, women of color didn't realize that they had this entitlement to support because entitlement and minority don't go together. Um, support and minority don't go together. Um, but when I realized that they did and they needed to know that, that became my charge to at least let as many mothers of color, and I'm not just talking about Black women, that's Latinos, Latinas, that's Asian women, um, you know, broad spectrum, that they deserved support and in the birthing process before and after that they should consider getting a doula. So, um, I work with an organization called the March of the Dimes. They, um, tackle, um, the inequities that are f- directly in the hospital, um, experience and in the system that where mothers are left out, um, um, they're left out in terms of receiving the information that they need from doctors about their choices in their birth care plan and the things that they plan to do with mothers when they're in their labor labor experience and they're after, and their information, how it's being disseminated. Um, and so we all know that we sign HIPAA forms, and sometimes women don't even know what they're signing, they're agreeing to. And, you know, they feel like they're in this space where if they wanted to contend, um, they, they're they not allowed to do that. So March of the Dimes does that. Um, and then I'm certified with ProDoula. That's my dual work. Um, with the Be Body Marketplace, as I mentioned, I offer quite a bit of volunteer work in the community in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. But now it's it's existing on a virtual space and virtual platform. So now I've been able to extend that to um, conferences um, and webinars and just share things like. Um, um, workspace wellness. Now living with pain, again, this is going back to that invisible aspect. If you're living with any sort of pain or chronic condition, it's not welcomed in the workspace, be it corporate or not. It's just not welcomed because it's deemed inappropriate for the workspace. You need to go deal with that at home. You need to take care of that before you come in here. You need to not carry it. But people don't realize that it's spilling over into your work product productivity. And maybe why you aren't seeing the results that you would like to from your employees is because they are depressed, is because they aren't getting the support that they need. And maybe it's because of the inequities of the healthcare system and they need an alternative. So how can we create something that is, um, a supportive ecosystem within the work environment so that you can see the, the, the results that you're looking for. So I talk a lot about that workplace wellness and how executive directors, um, and heads can, um, create more trust building activities, can, um, fuel in holistic, um, um, building blocks within their team building as a part of their daily meetings or their weekly meetings. Um, and it not be taboo um and then also with the individual to help them to identify what are those triggers indicators that are happening to you without you realizing to make you procrastinate um to make you feel less motivated and maybe even make you feel isolated and that you're not excellent even if you are um because of your health um I have a podcast called the Be body Talks Podcast. Um, I touch on a bunch of things, but lately it's really been pressing in with positive affirmations. Um, I am, I can, I have, I will, I know, it shall be. These are ways that we can start our day to really fuel um, everything that is in us, which is greatness. and these day-to-day responsibilities and requirements and these checklists can be so demanding to the point where you don't feel like you have room for self-care. Um, you know, there's tons of things out there for self-care of the kids, things you could buy, but it's still about blocking the time to actually do it. Um, and I try to help people remember, take a break, get up from your
0: chair, stretch go drink water, breathe. Um <laughs> I hope everyone who's listening is like taking that pause right now too, unless you're driving. Unless you're driving, don't pause, keep driving.
1: <laughs> you know, I actually have a podcast while I was driving. Wow. Yeah, to show people how they can. So there's something called walking meditation. And so I want people to embrace driving meditation where you're not driving defensively or offensively. You're just driving um, mindfully. Let people go past you and honk the horns. I want you to find a pace, a rhythm, a pattern that works for you. And I noticed that when I went back to the East Coast, um, being on the West Coast, because I would cruise all the time. And people were like, like what are you doing? And like, the aggression, the amount of aggression is absurd. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, it's okay. I have found my pace, my pattern, and my rhythm, and I'm sticking to it. So the same way that you can walk and meditate, you can drive and meditate too. Um Notice if you are stamping your feet on the, the gas to drive and surge and, you know, be in, in a rush mode all the time. Or are you actually taking it in your environment? Are you noticing the nature around you. Are you noticing the pedestrians? Can you say that you can remember um, that someone was wearing a hat that day? Or were you so absorbed in yourself, in your own mind, in your checklist, in your phone calls, in your your space that you're not able to um, participate in the world around you?
0: Driving is actually a great example for that, I think, too, because you have to be aware. You know, because it's a safety issue not to be and that concept of being able to be aware enough of oneself and find a center to then expand that center and find that awareness outside of yourself as well. I wish more people would practice it, especially on the road. It would probably help reduce accidents, wouldn't it? Hope so. Yeah, you never know. So I love that. I mean, and this is what so frequently happens, especially with people who are on the show, right? Is that we go through our own really redemptive experiences that can start out terribly and they can um, cause us great pain and and debilitate our bodies. And yet we find ways to cope and then we want to share it with other people. And it's exactly what you've done. You know, you've taken that strength that you found within yourself and you've shared it with other people. And in sharing it, it has also... Fed your strength too. And I just love that the narrative I'm hearing is one of like, well, if we're more in community, if we're thinking about other people, if we're helping other people, we'll also help ourselves. Yeah. Hmm.
1: But helping, I will say this too, um, a part of my escape from pain, I've had to make sure that I balance it well. And I'm boundaries. Boundaries. <laughs> Not doing too much to the point where I'm validating. I'm not doing it for validation, I should say, but I'm validating strength by helping others and being a part of community and working with other people and all of that, but also taking away from what I need to do to restore myself because I still am in pain. Yeah. Balance is is key.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we talked about that a little bit earlier, you know, in terms of this working life that we're expected to have here. I love that you went and traveled and went to places where, as you say, you know, part of the way of life is a certain ease and cultivating that within ourselves every day. It's part of the reason that we hear a lot about meditation and yoga, people trying to do it first thing in the morning, because it's about finding that center before you give yourself to the world, isn't it? And I really love that you're living that and that you're teaching other people that as well.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I have days where I fall out of my rhythm. Like today I plan to get up, do some breath work, do some stretch, but inspiration took over and I did something else. But, um, I would say just find a way to do it at least at some point. Insert it. Don't forget it. Don't let it be an afterthought or don't let it be just a thought because sometimes we can start to live in this cognitive reality where you're like, oh, I thought about yoga and that sounds really great. I thought about taking time for myself and hmm, sometimes the thought can bring us relief,
0: but the actual doing we neglect and we have to. Mm, I love that you say that actually, because I'm definitely guilty of that. And I think that's the next step is the action. I mean, you talked about procrastinating earlier. Why do we do that? You know, sort of getting to the root of that and actually taking the action. I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm on, I'm totally on board with this message. I love it. <laughs> so I wanted to get into... I've got a couple top three lists for you. And I wondered if, first of all, you could offer some tips for others who are maybe living a similar experience. Maybe they're living with chronic pain or a chronic condition and really struggling to figure out what's going to work for them, to find their center, to... Um, understand the world around them and sort of try to find their feet. What would you offer to fellow Spoonies who are living with an invisible condition?
1: Affirm yourself like crazy. Affirm Mm. the wildest thoughts, dreams, imaginations that exist as a part of your being and as a part of your experience, affirm that. Um, Get rid of the shame and the guilt that you have been living with and get rid of it on a daily basis. You do not have to apologize for the fact that you're going through something. The world that we live in needs to be more, um, I, we can't expect them to be supportive. They need to just be aware that just as, just as our skin color differs, our condition of life differs too. So affirm yourself like crazy and um, let that be real. The second thing I would say is nutrition. Um, changing my diet, um, taking in more water salvia foods has helped with reducing inflammation in my life. It's taken a, a while to eliminate things that I love and I enjoy, but I realize it's worth the sacrifice because the body is, um, the body is brilliant, but it's, it's a sponge. It will take in what you give it. And, um, if you're having a guilt, a guilt shame day where you're falling into depression and you're spiraling and you just say, well, I just need this. I deserve it. I've been through so much. And you keep, you keep validating that, um, malnutrition as a reason for while you're doing it, um, your experience is the reason for how you have, you have malnutrition, you'll suffer. Um, don't add to your suffering. Get better at that. Um, whatever that is for you. I'm not going to tell you to become vegan, keto, paleo. Listen to your body. Consult with a trusted physician. I, I would recommend someone holistic. I would recommend naturopathy. I would rec- recommend getting an herbalist, sitting down with an herbalist and talking to them. Um, I would recommend, um, learning your blood type. I would recommend if you haven't already going through your family tree and finding your lineage and your heritage and if it's German, uh, Germ- what is it Germanic um Germanic yeah if it's slavic if it's from africa if it's from asia go back and find what their traditional foods were and you may need to start to integrate that um this american mm. act of nutrition is horrible it is not it is not a viable um, ger- uh, like, path and option at all because it's a, a melting pot. It's a meld of things that we, our ancestors have brought over to this land. And it's usually fried, dyed, and laid to the side. And that includes my brown and black women too. Um, we did not come from slavery. We came from Africa. And the traditional... Food pyramid actually does not include meat at all. Just so that you know, it is a highly, um, fruit and vegetable based diet. Again, as I mentioned earlier, water salviant, that is foods that are high in content of water and hydration. Um, go back to that. Do you- you're making me want to eat a
0: watermelon right now? <laughs>
1: I'm so glad you brought that up. So a friend of mine, she calls herself the melon romantic. I'm going to plug her. Oh my gosh. Yes. She is all about juicing. You can juice any and everything. You can juice grapes, melons, all these fruits and vegetables. Um, One of my favorite recipes is cabbage, cucumber, any choice of apple, and then one other fruit. So with the Bee Body Marketplace, we have, I call it tasting the rainbow. So ideally, your diet should include all things that have color. Your blues and purples are good for your immune system and building antioxidants. Your reds and oranges are great for beta carotene, for your eyes, and for um, building up your, your blood cell content. Um, your whites and browns, legumes, that's I forget what's good for you. Got to look at the chart. Go to my <laughs> website, check me out. Yeah, and we'll definitely link to it on the
0: website for the episode.
1: Yes, it's there. So you, your food should have color, and your your food should have real rich tannin in color too. You know, your typical potatoes, your French fries, your everything that's that's no color in it. Um, so just, just keep that in mind. Um, and then the last thing apart from nutrition and affirming yourself, I would say for pain is joy, happiness, laughter. You need to become radical about joy. Mm. Um, and believe it. It's, you're not going to believe it at first. You have to force yourself. And that's what I've had to do because everything about life is going to feed you things that could make you feel like you need to be depressed. You need to just give up. You need to just throw in the tile. Tile, you don't belong there. What are you doing? You're like, no. Be radical about your joy. Make yourself smile. Make yourself feel good. And put yourself in places that also support that too.
0: That is so beautiful. I don't think it gets much better than that. I love it. You're inspiring me. It's going to get me on a really nice path for today. So what about last top three list? Speaking of joy, top three things that give you unbridled joy. So things that you're unwilling to compromise on, because I know that obviously you've adjusted your life around your diagnosis. So these can be indulgences, maybe comfort activities. But what are three things that you turn to when you need to light yourself up? Oh,
1: live music, um, sound therapy is so, um, it's so key for pain conditions. Um, frequency is a thing. And you know, we always hear no bad vibes here, only good vibes and energy. What is energy? Energy is frequency. It is, the, these are wave patterns and the body, it, the body absorbs that. And it's a cellular experience. And that is that is how we are energy. Um, you know, we've got organs, we've got bones, we've got all these the makeup that help us to navigate throughout. Well, it is true that we are energy. So live music has helped me so much um, to make me feel alive. Um, what else? I think going back to laughter too, that's also a cellular experience. When I laugh, I'm taken out of, not escaping, but I am taken out of my pain experience. Um, and it can be contagious laughter and infectious laughter. And I want and need more of it. So things that, like, and good laugh, good comedy too. Um Not that, like,
0: dry, sarcastic, like, rude. <laughs> Yeah, not something crass, but like something that's actually like funny because it's true.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um mm. and what I'm not willing to compromise on
0: um that gives you joy. <laughs> joy. Children. Mm. Yeah, especially as someone who's a doula. Yep. Mm. I'm an educator. Going
1: back to honesty, um, children are brutally honest. (laughs) If you spend time with kids, they have that kind of innocence that is unapologetic. Um, and I think it brings you back to the simple things of life when you're around kids. Um, yeah, at least for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really lovely. So what is your ask for listeners today? What can they do to support you and your work as you move into the future?
1: You know, there's a quote that's been said, um, when someone shows you who they are the first time, believe them. That's something that I'm still learning. Um, and I would like for everyone to embrace that. When you hear someone say that they're going through something hardship, experience, try to be aware of that when you are in their space, um, and also ask them how they ca- how you can support them. Be honest and say, "I would like to learn more about what it is that you just shared with me because I'm not familiar. Help me to understand." I think people shy away from things that they don't get, and they just say, "Oh." I'm sorry to hear that, or mm, that's unfortunate, or, oh, my condolences, or that sucks, or just these kind
0: of like passive, like, I don't know. It's a what- passive lack of responsibility too, though. It's like not getting involved.
1: Not getting involved. And someone has called it what I like to say too, willful ignorance. mm like, you've decided because it doesn't affect you, you don't want to know and you don't want to care. That is not really, that's not responsible. As you said, it's not responsible at all. We've got to do better. So, um, it's going to differ from person yeah. to person, but, um. Yeah. Active
0: listening. Oh, yes. There it is. Active listening. Hmm. Really engage. I love that. So what is next for you, Kayla, in your advocacy and wellness journey?
1: Well, I plan to become more active in my advocacy for TN, um, by getting the word out there. October is trigeminal neuralgia awareness month and the color is teal. So any way that I can unapologetically let the world know that this is not An invisible, made up condition, but that people are really suffering uh, from chronic facial pain and that we do need to find answers. I will continue to do that and encourage people to donate to uh, the foundation in order to help us find solutions. Um, For B Body in the Body marketplace, I will persist with financial wellness in my own um, coming to of literacy, financial literacy, to help us to understand that um, when it comes to finances, we don't have to blend in to the current um, of haste that's going on around us, especially with the pandemic, but to really find a, a rhythm that works for us and who we are as people and the obstacles such as chronic pain and health conditions that are part of that experience in money-making.
0: Yeah. I love that. And remind everyone where they can find you again. Sure. You can find me at
1: www.bebody.blogspot.com. I'm also on Instagram at B-E-E-B-O-D-I as well as on iTunes for my podcast entitled Be Body Talks.
0: That's awesome. And I will include all of that information with links on the website for the episode. Is there anything else you'd like to share with everyone today, Kayla? You've opened up to us so beautifully. And I'm just so honored to have uh, been present for this conversation.
1: I'm so happy to have come in contact with this podcast and mm. with Lauren because you have given me a space to crack this open. Mm. Um, so I just want to say thank you. I have shared so much um, and I'm just grateful that
0: this space is here so mm. that like myself can do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for engaging with us and like showing us what active listening looks like, right? Like that thing that we need to cultivate more is exactly what we just did. So, um, I think living by example is something that you have really mastered here and um, you're really just such a wonderful, wonderful role model to everyone tuning in today. So thank you so much for giving us your time, being present here, sharing your energies with us. Um, wow. What a wonderful person to have met. Thank you so much, Kayla.
1: Yes. Oh, you know what? I mm. with this. In the B-Body marketplace, we encourage you to treat, support, and invigorate your human body.
0: Mm, I love that. Yes, because that's what we need to be doing, especially if we have a chronic illness, right, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kayla, what a joy. What an honor. Thank you so much. And guys, go check out B-Body. Check out all the work that Kayla's doing. Um, She's an incredible advocate in the community, and uh, you should connect with her. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at Uninvisible Pod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.